Welcome to the Cynical Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from the pop-up Chinese studio here in Beijing. I'm Kaiser Guo, joined from the far side of the planet by someone who, in his one person, really represents the entirety of the China-watching community of Nashville, Tennessee. The man behind DanWay.com, Mr. Jeremy Goldcorn. <laughs> Jeremy, share with us another hey. one of your keen and penetrating insights into life below what you've memorably called the uh, Mason Dixie line. Is that what he called it? <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it was rather early in the morning um, when I said that. As it is again for me now, but um, you know, I continue to be amazed at how wrong the stereotypes of Californians and Yankees, and even people like you who spent a fair bit of time in you know parts nearer. In Arizona, that's not, uh, that's not too far away from here. Um, it's a cultural uh, you know, appendage of California, really. <laughs> is it okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, I haven't been there, but I mean, um, you know, Nashville is uh, a very cosmopolitan place. <laughs> um, well, yesterday, I spent uh, the afternoon with my daughter uh, doing capoeira with uh, a guy, uh, two um, uh, Kurdish uh, uh, Turks. Um, uh, a guy from Iraq, a Brazilian, uh, two, you know, southern-born uh, uh, Americans, one black, one white, uh, and it was all very... Yeah, see, but see how race-conscious you are. <laughs> Have you noticed how race-conscious you're being here? That's just really shameful. No, uh, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So, okay, so your, your observation <laughs> for the day is it's a lot more cosmopolitan than, in fact, people like me, you know, are predisposed to believe. You're probably right, and I'm just giving you shit. I actually, my time spent in the South has been wonderful. They're just really warm and hospitable. But we're going to continue to do this, and can you, you know, you know, chuckle at your exactly. um, There are, I have spotted at least two people driving around with Confederate flags uh, on, on their cars. Yes, that is to be expected. Um, so, you know. Um, you are south the of the Mason-Dixie South. line, after all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'm happy to report there are two good Chinese restaurants in the city. How, Maybe more, but two how, that I know. How good? I mean, I, I don't want to tease you, but I, but I ate lunch today at Sanyang Cai, you know, in Gongti, that Chongqing restaurant. And, oh, yeah. Mm, still savoring that. Anyway. Let's All move right, on. So we're also joined by, by okay. yeah, we're also joined today by David Moser, who is academic director of the CET program in Beijing, where he's been malforming the minds of impressionable young Americans in China now for nearly a decade. David, how are you? Very good. I beg your pardon. <laughs> defamation suit coming. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> um, so Jeremy, David, have you guys ever been on a cruise? No, I've never even cruised before in the usual sense. Been cruised? Yeah. <laughs> um, were you fans of the Love Boat in its its uh, late seventies, early eighties heyday? I hated never that show. Even one episode. Oh of man! It. You know, it Terrible. ran for like nine full seasons. I mean, it's just incredible. It's just like like Friends ran for like ten seasons. Yeah. Anyway, um, I I actually have been on a cruise. It was twenty years ago. It involved a woman, some very bad choices, and ultimately much regret. But I, I, I kicked the shit out of a bunch of old people in a daily trivia game so badly that the first couple of days that they basically just stopped coming, and I just cleaned up on, on prizes. And it was cash money, motherfuckers. Um, and uh, I also learned the Macarena, which tells Ooh. you like when it was. It was very yeah. popular in the summer of 1995, so it was like, really worth worthwhile. I also... Um, Anyway, uh, but, I think, but you, you know, what I didn't, what was conspicuously missing from my cruise experience was 
was, was Chinese people. <laughs> it was, you know, the, the other, like, much maligned group of tourists, which are Americans, but that, that's a different story. Um, so today on our show, we're going to be talking all about cruising. Uh, so uh, a, a, a reporter who happens to be one of my favorite guys went cruising for a bruising very, very deliberately. Uh, also, I think it involved bad choices. Maybe not a woman, but probably some regret. <laughs> uh, today we welcome Chris Beam. How are you, Chris? Good. Great so, to be here. Chris, yeah. Um, back on land. Yeah, yeah. Um, you get your sea legs or your land legs back. And anyway, uh, we, we, uh, we were, I was anyway, delighted with this, this piece of yours, that, which ran in Bloomberg on the 22nd of April. It was called The People's Republic of Cruise Land. Was that your title? No? It was not. No, of course I not. didn't come up with any good headlines. Uh, the editor came up with a few great ones that were not going to fly. Oh, come on, come on, let me hear Let me hear Come on. Yeah. The best one I thought was... Fresh on the boat. Oh, that's no, that's, oh, really that's very good. That's, yeah. yeah, kind of borderline racist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but, but but it was it was pretty good. I, I mean, think Bloomberg is now a fairly conservative organization. They don't, yeah, want to go with that. But now that Eddie Huang's sitcom Fresh Off the Boat is is such a you know monumental hit, at least among my set, you know, uh, the Asian set or whatever. Uh, it's yeah, that show also is is very clever. You know, you, you know, you know what they did. So. Uh, a friend of mine happens to be the father. Uh, his name is Jeff Young. He writes for the Wall Street Journal, and he's probably like the, the most well-known voice in in Asia, uh, Asian American sort of punditry. Right? Um, he, they cast his son as the main character, as Young Eddie mm-hmm. Hudson, uh, and and thereby inoculated themselves for for good from any criticism, meaningful criticism from the Asian American community because they're basically the their one. ombudsman, yeah, their ombudsman basically is is going to defend the show unto death. So that was really clever. I mean, that's what you do. You, you basically and the show's greatest critic the, it, was Eddie Huang himself. Right, exactly. Well, he was on Bill Maher <laughs> last night uh, criticizing the show. Yeah, well, what a dickwad. He said, he said, make up your own mind. But he he said uh, Asian Americans didn't dare criticize it because we've been invited to the well. We they've been invited to the party now. He said. Oh uh, yeah, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. They've been thoroughly co-opted. Well, uh, I mean, his his role is to be a dickwad. That's why he's <laughs> funny and interesting. Thing, right? I mean, no. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's a really <laughs> good chef. I, I have no idea. But I, um, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm. Uh, I, I like the show, kind of. I'm with reservation. But well, that's for another another episode. But um, the People's Republic of Cruise Land. Um, in, uh, in which our hero Chris Beam takes ship <laughs> aboard. The Costa Atlantica, is that what it was called? Yeah, the Costa Atlantica. But you, you cruised the Costa Pacifica, presumably, right? Indeed. Uh, uh, so this was a cruise that uh, went out over over uh, Spring Festival of this year, um, left from Shanghai, and had stops in Japan and Korea. It was six days, five nights. Um, Costa Atlantica is operated by, by Costa Crociere, if that's how you pronounce it, an Italian company that is most famous for uh, the terrible accident in oh, Italy a couple right. of years ago. Um, so it's not Princess and it's not Carnival? It's owned by Carnival. Oh, it's owned by Carnival. Carnival okay. is one of the massive overlords of the cruise industry, and Carnival's main rival is Royal Caribbean. Okay, okay. So in the last few years, um, China has become the new destination for these cruise companies. Um as re- I think it's only like eight years old, right? I mean, I yeah, I'm reading it was like 2007. 2006 was, like, was the, the right. first year that Costa came to China. Uh, um, 
And since then, I mean, it's still a market that's in its infancy. Last year, I think 700,000 Chinese tourists went on a cruise. Which is that's, that's <laughs> like a tiny, tiny percentage, not only of China, but also of, of compared to, I was astonished at the number of yeah, Americans. Yeah, I mean, 10 million? 10 million Americans went I on just, a cruise in one they year? They couldn't believe it. Yeah, 3.5% of the American population goes on a that's cruise incredible. every year. It's the biggest market in the world. But... That is Even incredibly th- sad. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. I mean, Jeremy, the odds of you being on a cruise right now are pretty high. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy, tell us, level us. Are you actually yeah. calling us from, from a boat? Uh, I'm calling you, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm calling you from a boat on, on um, you know, near the Caribbean. <laughs> I, I actually think it cruises are kind of fun. You know, I moved to America and they, they forced me. Did they have skeet shooting on this cruise? Uh, no, not this one, but it can't be far off. Did yeah. they, on yours? Yeah, that that was the most awesome thing, though. I mean, the idea of, yeah, I mean, we've got, like, you know, 12, 12 <laughs> gauges on this on this boat, and, I mean, and that and, and was just awesome. That I, would I, actually I, be hugely appealing, I think, yeah, to this Chinese audience. Yeah, shooting is, is the way to go. Uh, so, basically, it's, it's still this very small market compared to the U.S., compared to Europe, but it's growing so fast. Like, over the last couple of years... It, between 2012 and 2014, the market grew 79%. Jesus and Christ. And they expect that to keep continuing for a few years at least. So the predictions are that by 2017, it will be the second biggest market in the world. And soon after that could become the biggest. It does sound, I mean, to me, very logical that it would be very popular with Chinese people. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it's the perfect kind of Chinese tourist experience, right? You do oh, yeah, it no, group. it's not. You, you don't have fucked to it up right from the beginning, uh, make I mean. independent choices and you can eat and gamble all day long. Eat. Okay, let's, let's start with eat and then we'll talk about gamble. But eat, that's how you open the piece. I mean, with, with what sounded like pretty tasty, tasty food that yeah. was being just like basically panned. And you know, like looked at indifferently, and and but by, by anyone knows who's who's you know brought a twan to the the states before, traveled with Chinese people, they're not the most culinarily adventurous people on 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 this planet, are they? Yeah, and so this cruise I went on was uh, Italian themed because it's an Italian boat. Um, every night you have a formal sit-down dinner where you have an Italian meal. There are Asian food alternatives for almost every course. Okay, and the hotel director of the cruise told me that 60% of people at any given dinner will pick the Asian option. So, 60%. Yeah, so that tends to be more popular than the Italian one. But that that number has been going down over the years uh, as they have more people come cruise I think that's through. a very important number to track. The Indeed. percentage yeah. of people—it oh, yeah. really is. I mean, that is the the measure of, of Chinese cosmopolitanism. Right there. Well, they're always Chinese people are always saying, you know, they 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 want to they want to have shizhan, you know, Western food, and they want something because they associate it with with high class and and you know uh, modernization, erudition, and all this kind of thing. But then when they actually get it, they never like it. Well, <laughs> well I mean, and so no. so in the, the beginning because it, it tastes terrible. I, <laughs> I agree. I mean, usually when I have you know when I go out to uh, you know one of these banquets and it's sheet time i just can't st- I, I just nibble on the bread and then go out and get something chinese later on well in in the beginning of the piece i i, I talk about this one particular passenger who i got to know pretty well he's an older guy uh from shanxi sort of grew up in the you know, during the the 60s and 70s um has he has been traveling before on on government tours but had never really been on his own trip and he's he wants to try Italian food. He wants to experience sort of the, the international um, culture. But 
he feels no obligation to pretend that he enjoys it. It's just, it's, it's <laughs> well, almost... There's kind of honesty in that, isn't there? Absolutely. And, and so I think the honesty is part of it, but also it's one thing to, to, to try it um, and sort of this dinner was a, a sort of VIP dinner that you pay more for. Uh-huh. And everyone in the room knows that you're getting the VIP dinner because the chefs are making the food in front of you. And I was thinking afterwards... The first VIP move is to get the dinner in the first place. The second, even bigger VIP move is to reject it and be like, <laughs> this sucks. I want Bian Bian Mian. <laughs> it's like that's that's the ultimate sort of establishment. And that's of what your guy wanted is Bian Bian Mian. <laughs> yeah. well, well, I was struck by the fact that uh, the, the people there actually wanted class differences. They wanted to feel like that they were getting you know, more how, for how their is money. How surprising? <laughs> yeah. So this, as an guys, I, I, I feel compelled to point out. Uh, some years ago, you and I were in Italy for our friend Mauro's uh, wedding. Indeed, we were. Yes. And uh, then you know, you and your wife Fanfan, you went uh, on a tour around, and then you came back to Beijing, and you penned a column. At that time, you had a week, uh, monthly column in. Uh, the Beijinger, uh, and the column was about how terrible the food was in Italy. No, so, no, so the column was not you know, about how terrible the food was. I think we can laugh too much at the rubes from Shanxi. No, no, dude. So, so what I that that was a, a very terrible misunderstanding about what I actually wrote. So, at the time, if you recall, I was actually a struggling freelance writer. I wasn't exactly you know rolling in cash like I am now. No, I, I was I was not. You know, I, I had to eat on basically you know a shoestring budget. I couldn't ever order like i could only go to the you know the the, the pasta and the anti uh, antipasti kind of dishes i couldn't ever like order you know a veal or or you know any <laughs> anything with like substantial meat it was always fucking you know pasta and and uh, uh and salads and pizza i mean that's all i ate it was like this you know carb loading for like two weeks of nothing but that and just never never able to afford I'm, I I am perfectly aware there's very very good food it's just it was just out of my range I couldn't couldn't, couldn't okay I couldn't. well I don't think any of your readers understood it's, it that, was there I made it very clear let's get back on, 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 on top you know so the thing that you do really well Chris and I have to say this about a lot of your pieces is you know it would be so easy for you in almost anything that you've ever written, in, in you, you do this. This is your thing, right? You put yourself in these kind of ludicrous <laughs> situations where you know you can be you, you can be the joke, right? But you do you do a good job of avoiding crossing the line into mean spiritedness. Uh, uh, good what, to hear. Yeah. So what, what's your take on? What's your approach to that? How do you check yourself against that? Because you know I, I do it all the time. I mean I, I cross the line. I'm, yeah. I mean I, I think it's easy to go into these situations. Um, just looking to make fun of people. Um, I mean, to say, you know, how ridiculous is it that, you know, these Chinese people are going on a cruise for the first time? Um, the, you'll read a lot of articles in, in magazines about um, uh, Chinese people who are making money for the first time, like taking etiquette classes or trying to sort of integrate themselves into the international upper crust. And there's always this sort of tone of condescension right. and mockery that really rubs me the wrong way. Um, so, you know, I hope that there's things about the piece that are funny and, and interesting, but funny in a way where you sort of see it from their perspective as much as you see it from my perspective. And as, you know, the I had never been on a cruise before either, ah. um, but I, I felt like having, 
you know, read enough articles about it, seen enough movies that I sort of knew what a cruise experience was like. Well, Chris's secret is he puts himself in situations that are that are so bizarre and cross-culturally <laughs> surrealistic that nobody could possibly L- understand them. Let us enumerate <laughs> some of his, his more memorable pieces. I think so. one of them, of course, was being on a dating show and then doing your white man dance. <laughs> that was not a dating show. That oh, was, no, a no, was a talent show. Talent, talent show, show. Right, right. A oh, talent show. Okay, that was funny. <laughs> that was just really funny. Uh, and I think there were some people who actually thought that you had kind of tipped into mockery, but more of it was so self-directed that I don't think you know the jury basically you know acquitted you of any. Yeah, I mean that was that was sort of uh, given this history, this tradition of uh, foreigners going on Chinese TV and making fools of themselves. I was trying to sort of take that model and ratchet it up to the most <laughs> extreme possible position where it was going to be the worst a foreigner on Chinese TV performance of all time. Jeremy, do you, do you think that um, you, you've seen you've seen this sort of piece, right, that that really crosses the line, right? And um, do you, you know, you, you write an awful lot about China and you, you share a lot of experiences with people as a foreigner. Uh, how do you, do you have some kind of way to, to check yourself? Uh, well, I don't actually write an awful lot about China, uh, to be honest. I mean, I tweet. Uh, <laughs> it's about most okay. of the writing that I do, aside from the China Story yearbook. So, um, personally, uh, it, it's not really an issue for me. I don't write about experiences like this, um, uh, you know. But I, I do think you're right. I think Chris does a good job, uh, and this article is is wonderful. It doesn't it doesn't mock. Uh, the the Chinese guests for for being rubes. Although of course it was only you know mere decades ago that uh, Europeans uh, thought of Americans. Uh, oh, I mean, in this, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, condescending way. So um, things that's will something that we're going to talk about. I mean, I want to talk about you know this this new thing. I mean, are Chinese the new ugly Americans? It, it seems to be you know you can't open the paper these days without seeing a story about misbehaving Chinese tourists, either on airplanes or just that kind of entitlement or just just, just, just uh, general bad behavior. I mean, um, I'm wondering, I mean, I, I'm sensitive to this naturally. Uh, my, my own reaction is I, I have been, you know, I've traveled around in, in, in Europe and in other places where both Chinese and Americans will go. And I find that I am, I flee in embarrassment when I see tour buses disgorge people of either nationality. And I, I think that's like testimony to my, you my, hate everyone my biculturalism, right? Is that I'm, I'm, I'm an equal opportunity snob. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you read a lot of articles saying, you know, Chinese tourists behave in ver- these various disgusting ways. But what I was so interested by on this cruise was that the Chinese passengers were very aware of this reputation and went pretty far out of their way to avoid creating any incidents. I mean, as we were boarding the boat uh, on the gangplank, there was a, a poster on the window that listed the seven behaviors that you're not supposed to engage in, you know, from spitting to carving into uh, ancient relics to uh, <laughs> taking off your shirt. You know, some yeah. behaviors of which I was looking forward to engaging stomach. in on the boat. <laughs> Myself. Uh, but by the way, I have to mention this. I just was in Chicago f- a month ago for a convention, and I have my phone ha- is a is is a China Telecom Unicom, right, right. and uh, so and I have this international you know uh, service that I bought for and I paid for. And when I reached Chicago, I got this these messages because they detected that I was in America. 
or in another foreign country right. anyway. And I got all these text messages from China uh, Unicom in Chinese saying, okay, you're in, a, you're, <laughs> you're in a different country. Remember to obey the local rules. Do not smoke in non-smoking well, areas. Do not throw it? trash. And, and they, they were telling I, you know, this, this is, is the message. This is you, I, I, David. This, <laughs> this <laughs> I, was, yeah, I was wondering, maybe they were sending it to me. Yeah. Right. Sorry, Jeremy, what? I still have my, well, I, I still have my, 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 it's a Unicom, China Unicom um, mobile phone uh, active. And I get a message uh, every week. Oh, you still uh, get that. Reminding <laughs> me to be civilized. <laughs> well, you are you know, a good. So, see, it's Jeremy too, Kaiser, not just me. So, do you, I mean, do you think this this general treatment of the phenomenon of Chinese tourism in, in in the English language media has gone too far? I mean, has it been fair at all, uh, or do you think this is just? Well, I don't think it acknowledges the fact that a lot of Chinese tourists are themselves aware of this reputation and try to push back against yeah, it. Yeah. So, you know, when when we were doing our score, our shore excursion in Japan, people were constantly reminding each other, well, you know, we're in Japan, everyone here is so polite, uh, you know, be sure to, if you're going to smoke, smoke in the designated smoking area. <clears throat> and if anything, I was the worst behaved of anyone in our well, tour group. doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> So, speaking of tour groups, okay, so there, there's no way that you weren't aware of two pieces of writing that I, I thoroughly enjoyed um, before you went into this. One of them is that fabulous David Foster Wallace piece of, of, of creative nonfiction called A Supposedly Fun Thing I Will Never Do Again, <laughs> in which he writes at, at great length and with great humor about his experience on a cruise. The other is Evan Osnes's piece from, it was like five years ago. Um, 2011. Yeah, yeah, oh, four, four years ago, okay. Uh, I actually wrote it down. Where, where, um, anyway, uh, when was that? Yeah, so it was called um, The Grand Tour, Europe on 1,500 yuan a day uh, from, yeah, four years ago from 2011. Uh, it, you had you, read both of those, right? And certainly they... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And they're great pieces, right? Yeah, they're amazing. I mean, they're both classics. And it was impossible not to feel some some anxiety of influence uh, just going into it. That's a good phrase. But the nice the nice thing about it is that in any... I felt this before about, about other pieces, but the experience that you have is going to be a singular, singular experience no matter what. I mean, David Foster Wallace went into it as a, you know, manic depressive... Uh, for the novelist who As he went into spent all his time in his room. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, Evan went into it uh, writing about sort of the the European experience as as filtered through the the lens of Chinese tour guides, and it was it was very much about um, the the group tour, which is itself a, a sort of China tourism phenomenon, and so cruises. All the cruise is also this really fixed idea in the American imagination. Um, and it's something that I had never seen sort of twisted in with the the theme of of China. So you can you can take all these different uh, sort of cultural phenomena and like f- push them through the China filter. Right. And I I was hoping that this would come out. Yeah, David Foster Osnos. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so um, what what um, let's let's. Uh, you know, uh, talk specifics about what you we, uh, happened here. I think one of the, the great, Jeremy, you talked about food and the other one was gambling. What was the name of that game that they were playing? Oh, Sikbo. 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 <laughs> it's actually uh, one of the most popular games in Asian casinos. Okay. I've um, never been to really So one, one of the ways in which Costa tailors its Chinese cruises to, to the audience here is by changing the games <clears throat> in the casino. 
um, they added Baccarat and they added Sickbo, which are by far the two most popular games in the casino. Um, and the reasons, as the pit boss explained to me, was that they're purely games of luck and they're games where there's a, an audience. So there were constantly people ringing the, the Baccarat table, sort uh, of watching. And also they're, um, they're, they're not collaborative games. I've seen a lot of James Bond movies. I've, that's where I know my Baccarat from. Yeah. Where's your courage, Bunky? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and, and Sickbo is purely, um, it's purely luck, but they, they play this psychological game with you where they'll uh, put, pop the dice under a, a concealed popper um, and they'll, they'll pop it and then the players will have to guess what was rolled of the three dice under there but they'll show you in three you categories the, in three sort of ranges of numbers right you add ranges, up the three die right you, you, well you can bet on various conditions you know large small um, three of a kind two of a kind okay. you can bet on any individual number coming up but basically uh, you base your bet on a, a list of the, the previous ten rolls and a lot of I asked some players to explain to me what's your logic here, um, well, and they would say, you know, it, 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 "I mean that matters, right?" <laughs> yeah, well, they say you know you wait for a pattern to emerge, uh, you wait really? for a few you know large uh, rolls to be rolled in a row, and that's when it's hot. Like that's when you know to either bet large or small, so, depending are you on your serious? personality. I mean, these people actually believed that... The, that, it's, a, that it's a gambler's fallacy. Right, no, it's a right. completely gambler's fallacy. Completely a fallacy, but, right. But that's really weird. I mean, it's kind of like predatory and evil then for them to actually show those previously rolled numbers. I mean, you clearly would be terrible at running a casino if you have this yep. moral no, <laughs> right, no, 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 I mean, I would, I, would, I would leave it at the door if I were running a casino, of course. But I'm just, I'm, now I'm speaking, you know, on behalf of the poor fleeced gamblers. But. Well, the money being spent in this casino was uh, insane. I mean, people were dropping uh, the, the cruise tickets worth of money on, on every hand in Baccarat. Jesus. And so I, I didn't. I didn't get exact numbers, but my impression was that a large amount of their revenue comes from the casino. Wow. As opposed it's, to... It's, it's great because it's far away from Macau. It's far away from China. So um, the chances of a clampdown are, are much smaller. So we really should be investing in, in, in cruises, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. question. It, it was interesting, especially in contrast to a place like Europe, where I think a lot of the money is made from booze. They, they charge people money for alcohol, whereas on this cruise, almost no one was drinking. It's very rare to, to see people. Yeah, ordering. why is that? Since, since Chinese drink, you know, like fish at banquets, why, why wouldn't they drink? No, drinking? I don't I mean, think they drink. Uh, I think the, the, because of the family in, cruise? Yeah, right. it's, it's a family, family cruise, context. Right. Yeah, right. It would be mm -hmm. different if it was a, a banquet or a business right. situation right. Right. or, uh, you know, a, a holiday ceremony. And plus, it was wine, which <laughs> they tend to so not know how, how to drink. How do you they wanted to dilute it with Sprite, and it didn't work. No, right. come on. <laughs> now, see, this is tipping into mean spiritedness, David. <laughs> Yellow card for you, David. Okay. So, let's go for another vice. Can you talk, Chris, about the topless, uh, the, 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 the kind of strippish, <laughs> strippish show? Okay, yeah, strippish show, strippish show. Sure. Uh, one, of the, one of the first... Uh, events that was brought to my attention when I got on the ship was that there would be a topless show. Last every, night. Every day um, you, you get this uh, this newspaper or a newsletter uh, left on your bed and it's every day they're they're telling you that the topless show, the burlesque show is going to be the last night. And so they're, they're sort of ginning up all this hype, all this interest in the, the topless show. 
and everyone was was mentioning it to me at every possible chance and i started to wonder you know why is this such a big deal apparently they only offer the topless shows on the asia cruises they don't even offer these in europe or the united states and the the reason as uh, someone at costa explained to me is that they see it in asia as being a, a sort of fresh experience that their customers will not have seen before whereas if you if you were to show <laughs> do a burlesque show on a, a french cruise they, people they just, would yawn right but did, did did people go? I mean, was did this work? Did Jenny it up over the entire course of the, the previous? And, and, and what happened five to days? the family angle? <laughs> so I I walked in the last night, not really expecting there to be that many people, but the theater was packed. Hmm. Everyone who I had met along the way and had gotten to know on the cruise was there, right. including this grandfather, mm-hmm. the sixty five year old man, and his grandniece were just sitting there watching the <laughs> the burlesque. So it, it, I feel like the, the logic that, that people were there to see something new, to experience something they hadn't seen before, kind of held. Um, the, what was so interesting about it was that people didn't seem to really know how to engage with it. There was almost complete silence at the end of every number, uh, barely any applause, uh, maybe a little from the front row. Uh-huh. But it's, <laughs> like, it's as if people just didn't really know what they were supposed to do as audience members. Um, so I, at, at first, how did I thought, you interpret that response? Yeah, I, at first I thought it was strange, but then I talked to some of the the people in the audience, and they said, "Oh yeah, we really enjoyed it." It just seemed like the the audience responses themselves are sort of conditioned behaviors yes, that sir. you develop after going several times to you know a rock concert or a comedy show. Yeah, somehow that doesn't surprise me too much, although it's changed to mean a. a you know, a given in Chinese society ever since I've been here, and only changed in the last decade or so, is that the Chinese people are very unresponsive outwardly at concerts. You know, the first time I ever saw Beethoven's you, Symphony. Again, that's you. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Not my concert. <laughs> I expect that. No, the first time I saw Beethoven's Symphony in the in the Beijing Concert Hall, it got like 10, 15 seconds of yeah. smattered applause. You don't know when to applaud. I mean, I've seen because I've seen Chinese people applaud between movements, and then right. like suddenly just be completely red faced yeah. because people you know shot them looks like no, yeah. no, this is just the end of a movie. Yeah, but, how are you supposed to know? Um, but even the other thing is not just the applause factor, but the sort of adult entertainment side of things. I mean, my very first right. year in China, nineteen ninety five, I remember one of uh, the uh, people that I was teaching English at this factory. Um, was kind of, I guess, an early um, person who had enough money to travel and went to Thailand. Uh, and all he could talk about was Ren Yao, you know. Yeah, it was about yeah. the same thing. A, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to raise and, that. And I mean, even to, to this day in China, often if you say, if you go to, you know, Thailand, the first people, the question people will ask you. Did you like, see Lady Boys? See the, right. Yeah. Which is really strange. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I had the same children. thing. I, I went to. I, there, there doesn't seem to be this attitude of you know this is adults only. It's kind of like a, going to the circus or something. You go and see the you know the transsexual show with your daughter yeah. who's twelve years old, and that's fine. Yeah, I should have recommended that for the cruise. <laughs> <laughs> I went. I was once in Thailand with on a, on a business trip, and my Chinese colleagues all decided we're going to go to Pattaya. I had no idea what Pattaya was until we got there, and it was just the sleaziest place I've ever seen. I mean, it was un- I was just embarrassed the whole time. And, hmm. and I, I couldn't really enthusiastically participate. Fortunately, I found this great 
Filipino cover band um, that was playing like all like kind of like hard rock and heavy metal hits. And so I just spent the whole time just drinking there and kind of like, you know, metal karaoke. It was great. Chris, there was another incident in your story where somebody bought some, when, when they went to Japan, bought some Japanese porn and then passed it around for the bus right. for everyone awesome. to look at, which yeah. also strikes me as completely incomprehensible well, what behavior. I, what, I, what I loved about it is that I, I spent the whole trip sort of asking people, bo- asking both Chinese passengers and also the the Costa staff sort of explained to me why people were behaving certain ways. And everyone had these very easy explanations. Like the cruise director was saying, oh, well, you know, Chinese people are very shy, so they're a little embarrassed about applauding after the the show, after the, the burlesque show. But then I was coming out of the theater one night and saw this group activity where a uh, like young dude wearing a long blonde wig and balloons for fake boobs giving a lap dance to an old man who was sitting there blindfolded and this was this was sort of the arranged activity uh this like playing a prank on this old suggest that maybe they are incapable of embarrassment (laughs) (laughs) and the porn too i mean the the i'm sure the some people would say like oh you know the this people are not you know pornography is illegal in china so people are uncomfortable with that no i mean they they got on shore in japan and beelined to the first Smut store. Yeah. I thought maybe it was just that you know you don't applaud at a funeral. They usually only see strippers at funerals. So. <laughs> no, see, we come. From, we're the weird ones. We come from the Judeo-Christian tradition, and I think we probably are the, the outliers when it comes to sex in, yeah. in the planet. I would guess. Yeah, same with my my, my Judeo-Satanic right. tradition is the same. <laughs> I, I remember again my first year in China when I was teaching English at a factory. One weekend, one of the engineers that worked at the factory actually invited me to stay with him. And his main purpose was to uh, force me to teach English to his daughter, which I didn't realize at the time. But one of the activities we did was watch uh, a pornographic movie. Um, and he basically asked me to translate uh, the dialogue. <laughs> and his daughter was doing her homework in uh, the bedroom, and then we were in the living room. And he was completely unembarrassed about this. His wife was washing the dishes. Um, it was, um, you know, for me, a kind of an introduction to a non-Anglo-Saxon, you know, Judeo-Christian worldview, uh, where pornography didn't seem to really yeah. be a problem. Uh, a couple of years ago, I actually went to Europe with um, a bunch of the, the directors of Baidu. Um, we had, our market cap had, had reached a certain point at which our, our CEO had promised that we would have our, our quarterly directors meeting uh, in Europe, and so we we were in Denmark and in Norway, and uh, one of the things that I thought was just remarkable was uh, well, so first of all, I mean these are all these are all pretty educated uh, people, many of whom studied abroad, and they were um, they they tried to separate as much as possible, not like be seen as part of some tour group. It was you know they're they're sophisticated, but uh, occasionally we had to be on a tour bus together, and then there would be a tour guide who would say the most idiotic shit about talking about the history of this place. Like at one point, the guy in Oslo it was our first day in Oslo, and uh, we are are on a bus, and the tour guide starts telling us in Chinese. And this guy's a Beijinger. I mean, he's like very proud, like establishing his bona fides. He's from Beijing. He's talking about, you know, looking out the window, you may see that, that many of the people have kind of look of stupidity or vacuousness on their face. That's because they're, that, 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 you know, uh, Norwegians had a, a uh, so he goes on to posit some sort of, of, of law. The, it was in effect during the 1940s and 1950s, whereby uh, 
somehow I can't remember what was his explanation, but it resulted in a lot of inbreeding. He, he, he claimed, <laughs> and then so I, I mean, I'm, you know, I think it speaks well my company. That all of us just started shouting him down. It's like, you know, what the fuck? <laughs> That's nonsense. What are you talking about? Can you you can't say this? I mean, you live here. How? So no, but look at them. There, <laughs> we we heard another couple of just like just create like, and I, I I think a lot of people thought about this. You know, you know, European history as written by Chinese tour guides. I mean, it would, it would be a really interesting book. Did you guys did you encounter any of this? I mean, was there was there any sort of like? Um, well, one example that that jumps out is we went to the Nagasaki Peace Memorial uh-huh. uh, during our our shore excursion there and. Uh, we were That's just asking for trouble. <laughs> I, I can't a believe boatload of, a boatload of Chinese people, literally. To <laughs> yeah, so we we went and, and looked at the memorial, and then um, they they highlighted uh, a smaller memorial that China had actually donated to Japan, yeah, okay. um, which is set off, and people went to look at that. And as I was looking at this uh, placard that had a, a photo of the devastation, I was standing there, and this old man came up next to me, and one of the other people from our group said, oh, this guy's an American. And the guy started talking to me uh, about the bombing, and it took me a second to realize that he was, tell- he was telling me... Uh, Thank you, America. <laughs> he was like, you did good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just asking for inappropriate comments. I mean, bringing a group of Chinese to the Nagasaki I mean, memorial. Wow. Yeah. So people would. Did you ask the tour director about this? Um, I think it's it's just one of the the natural stops, and when okay. you, when you go to Nagasaki, was there anybody but... who reflected sort of maybe appropriately there that you encountered? Um, in, I mean, in that case, I think most people just kept their mouths shut. Okay, that's and, good. See, that, that, that's 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 heartening. I think. Very but on the other hand, one of the one of the uh, Chinese tourists uh, who evidently had cancer went to a doctor there quickly to get a second opinion because he didn't trust the the Chinese medical system. Evidently, <laughs> yeah. So this is this is the same old man, uh, uh, Li Chenggang, who um, when I first met him, he was being kind of a jerk. He was complaining about his seat on the bus uh, because it was too far in the back, and he'd paid for VIP treatment, so he wanted. Uh, a better seat on the bus. Um, but later, as, as I talked to him more, um, he started to seem uh, far more sympathetic. He One of the reasons that he was on this cruise was that he wanted to see a, a Japanese doctor. And uh, a lot of our time on these shore excursions was spent shopping. Our first shopping stop was at a Japanese pharmacy. And when you, walk, when you walked in, the first thing that they offer you is a health checkup. Um, and they have different tiers of, of checkup, and he immediately signed up for the most expensive one, disappeared into this back room, and uh, was told, as as he knew, that um, he that had serious health problems. Um, he had, he had ar- like stomach cancer, right? Yeah, stomach and colon cancer. He had been diagnosed in China, but he told me that he uh, came to Japan because he he wanted to get a second opinion. And right now, there's there's a lot of suspicion of medicine made in China, um, there's a sense that, that Japanese medicine is, is more reliable. This connects to another story you've written for The New Yorker, actually, about uh, you know doctors being actually right. subject to attack. We've talked about this on right. this. I, I'm curious, why, why Bloomberg for this piece? Oh, um, they approached me about it. Oh, okay. So they actually pitched you on, on doing this. It's like, you know, hey, you seem to enjoy putting yourself in really awkward <laughs> <laughs> and write with a, 
a semblance of nuance on it. That's pretty amazing. Chris Bloomberg approached you for a story. That's uh, uh, you, you should be proud of that. I don't <laughs> think Bloomberg. You're probably the first person they've ever actually <laughs> approached <laughs> to write a story. You know. Uh, well, I mean, there's <clears throat> the, they had um, followed the cruise industry in the past, and they wanted someone who was in China and would be able to to go on a ship. This is what like four thousand words, though. They. they, they... Sixty-four hundred. Oh, sixty-four hundred. Okay, yeah, it was. Oh. I mean, went fast because it was fun. But yeah, it was a good long piece. Now, that that's a, where. What Bloomberg vehicle runs sixty-four hundred word pieces? Uh, Business Week. Oh, Bloomberg Business Week. It's so, in Business oh, it's, Week. It's actually. Oh, it's actually in Bloomberg Business Week. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. Fabulous. Yeah, it's it's this week's cover. Oh, fabulous! Fabulous. Which may or may not appear in the Chinese edition. Was this because of that New Republic cover that you did? They they liked that. They thought you'd be appropriate. Um, well, actually, my editor on this is a, a guy I've known for a very long time. Okay. Uh, I guess you could say he assigned me one of my first articles I ever wrote uh-huh. uh, back in college. The Guanxi. Slate is where you used to hang your hat once upon a time, uh, which I've always been envious of because, as you know, oh, this yeah. whole this, this podcast was in so many ways inspired by Slate podcasts and particularly the Culture Gab Fest. And I think we've talked before about, you know, those three oh, yeah. and how much I love them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still I, I I'm trying to lobby them on making doing a, a live gab fest in China. Oh wow! In which case you should get them in here. I will. I absolutely will. Um, yeah, they should come out here. Uh, I think actually I heard Julia say she studied Mandarin in, in in college for a little while. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, chance to dust that off and and try it out here. Uh, well. Um, uh, I can hear you're about to try and close things off. No, I'm not. I'm not. One more question. Yeah, that's what Um, I was going to. You'd look uh, in your article uh, at the kind of different, you know, there are different age groups on this cruise. Can you say anything about how uh, different age groups behave? Um, Oh, good question. And I mean, you know, in the future, I mean, do you think like younger Chinese, will they want a certain kind of cruise? Is what's different about. Um, the different generations uh, of Chinese people who might take cruises uh, in, in terms of what they want to experience. Yeah, most people on this cruise uh, were families. Um, so it was a lot of them were, were multi-generational grandparents, children, uh, children's children. Um, and I think one of the big draws of, of the cruise was the convenience. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't have to worry about your grandma being on the plane. You don't have to worry about booking hotels where everyone has something to do. Um, the, the, like all cruise lines, I mean, this cruise line had a kid's area where they could go play arcade games and, and knock hockey and all that. Um, so there were, there were activities for every generation along the way. Um, one thing I noticed was when I asked people, would you consider taking a cruise again? Almost all of the parents and, and older people said yes. Um, it was the younger people who were traveling in smaller groups, say, you know, with their, their, their wife or their, uh, with another pair of friends, like a small group of, of young people who said that next time they would be more likely to travel alone, which is also becoming a much more common way of traveling for, for Chinese tourists. I, I did forget to ask you about singles night, right? Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so, so, yeah, I mean, because you said there were young people who were, I mean, so there were some singles, presumably. I mean, what compelled, first of all, what compels a single person to go and take such, I mean, this is presumably then the granddaughter, the the adult granddaughter or grandson of, uh, uh, in a family, the one that's or sort of the one sibling 
the uncle or whatever to the young children who well, wasn't married. Well, they held a singles night, but no one actually showed up to the singles night except and, me. Yeah, and like Billy Idol, you were dancing with yourself. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty sad. I mean, this is this is one of the examples of no matter how much you try and tailor the experience to a new audience, there's always going to be something that's not quite right. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, if they if they truly understood the audience, they would have canceled Singles Night altogether and turned it into you know, gambling night, <laughs> <laughs> right? Which was every night, sick bow night. Uh. But one 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 theme that I, I just wanted to mention real quick was that David hinted at earlier was I was surprised at the extent to which um, people wanted more class differentiation among different among the different passengers. Right, this isn't VIP enough, right? Okay. Yeah, because when you look at the development of the cruise industry in the U.S., it's it's largely about the democratization of luxury, the idea that everyone is entitled to this royal treatment. Um, but here it, it seemed like that's huh. not what people wanted. Well observed. That's true. That's fine because, you know, they come from a classless society. Right? <laughs> and that's, that's... My parents went on cruises, but they it was like they wanted their – they felt like we worked all our lives, we've retired, we want to enjoy ourselves, damn it. And they wore the Italian sh- shirts and, uh, you know, had the f- – but it was a familiar experience because it was geared towards the American retired, you know. So they had whoever, Wayne Newton or whoever, what, you know, act uh, for the lounge. But for these Chinese people, surely it was not that. They were looking for something foreign and exotic, right? That's a very yeah, different well, experience. The, the company had to strike a balance between something being – Foreign enough that it was interesting, but not so foreign that it would make people uncomfortable or right. upset. And it was always walking that line that was the challenge for this company. They'll figure it out. So just as a, in, in closing for this, this section before we move on to recommendations, uh, what did you go in expecting and, and what, what surprised you? Um, well, the, the, the sort of class segmentation that I just described was, was one of the yeah. big surprises. Um, I... Yes, sir. Hey, what about expectations? What did you What did you go in thinking this was going to be? Um, well, I I had my expectations about what a cruise was like were based on um, sort of the cliches that you hear right. about um, about uh, you know, retirees. on the Lido and, deck, or right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the the biggest surprises. I guess I was I was surprised how much. Um, I didn't trust anyone's self-reporting on whether they were enjoying it or not. Uh-huh. Um, this is a hard thing to explain, but I was always asking people, like, are you enjoying yourself? Or is this fun? Is it good? And I almost got the impression that they were asking themselves the same question. <laughs> they are like, is this fun now? Like, are we having fun? Yeah. Like, is this... Is it a pinhead? Right. You're almost... Not sure if you're having fun. Like I was not having fun. I can say that definitively. Uh, but it it made me well, think it's a about supposedly fun thing. But will you do it? <laughs> you're having meta fun, not real fun. Well, no, just, meta just fun made... is even more fun to me. It is. Isn't that uh, just the Chinese experience of tourism generally? I mean, the, the the fun is in the photograph that you take doing a V sign in front of a monument, not necessarily in. Okay, being, so, Jeremy, yeah. you've just crossed into mean spirited mockery. <laughs> No, it's not mockery. Okay, right. uh, there's no mockery intended. But, I mean, isn't that a common thing about Chinese tourism, that a lot of it is 
the 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 having been to a place rather than being and the, and the duty place. free shop. Well, to be fair, I think it. I think that's true of tourism in general. I mean, I've been on trips where you know you'll be at a big tourist site and you'll you'll want to be enjoying yourself and really want to be learning a ton, but when you're being completely frank, you, you realize it's, it's not actually enjoyable at all. Um, it just sounds like life to me. I mean, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I find myself doing that. I mean, when I'm, I'm traveling, I say, well, shit, I'm going to, I guess I'd really be happier if I just sat and played, you know, um, Rome Total War while listening to an audio book in my hotel room. But I'm in, you know, Potsdam or I'm in, you know, whatever. And so I guess I should go see I that should go museum and be edifying somehow, right? Yeah. And, and, and so all you can really pay attention to is people's behavior and, and spending habits. Like, are they going to go on a cruise again? Probably. A lot of them. Does that mean that they loved it and they were having fun the entire time? I don't know. And we will leave things on that question and move on to recommendations. Do we know uh, what is fun after all? <laughs> a meditation room. Jeremy, start us off. All right. So my recommendation is Paul French, the author and like guest. He has a blog, China Rhyming, and he recently proposed. Oh, sorry, so China Rhyming. China Rhyming, right? China Rhyming. Yeah, you broke up. So there the title for a of Just... the blog post I'm recommending is "Hipster Expats Hutong Dwellers." Um, and yeah, let me just I really want to read that it. one. Uh, yeah. The tagline for this blog, that is Paul's blog, is Mark Twain's History Doesn't Repeat Itself, But It Does Rhyme. Reading Christina Larson's recent piece on the Los Angeles Review of Books, China Blog, which is called Two Views of a Hutong, definitely rhymed. Peking's last few remaining hutongs as hipster expat hangouts, complete with plenty of bike riding, small dog ownership, Tai Chi on the roof, gourmet granola shops, whatever they are, and houses full of young folk from overseas apparently watching earnest documentaries and working for media companies or non-profits. Same thing these days, really. We could probably add to that anecdotes about searching for authentic food, language classes, developing a taste for Chinese opera, claiming years of long China service and extensive travel, and repeatedly stating how much better and more authentic Peking is compared to the generally loathed Arabist alternative Shanghai. Anyway, it's fun. Read it. Okay. I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like it's a, they're, <laughs> no, they're just such an easy target these days. It's like, I just, I, I couldn't summon up the, I just couldn't make myself. It's like, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like, um, is, is there going to be like, it's like writing another fucking article about Brooklyn, or I mean, it's like <laughs> Jesus. It's just, I mean, I, like if we stop. Well, the point of this blog post is, is uh, take this out of the Hutong dwellers, uh, the hipster expat, as much as to point out that uh, this is this is we've done this know, before, been done before, right. okay. <laughs> before the revolution, right. Yeah, because you know, Edmund Backhouse is actually the first Hutong dwelling hipster <laughs> he was, expat. Right? He was, he, he really was very absolutely. As someone who's about to move into a career as, a, as an author is based on writing about you know basically hipster expats, right. so you know I do uh, I do love John, yeah I do love he's not it's not mean spirited just like I wasn't being mean spirited okay. and and we know that Chris is incapable of being mean spirited um, so in in that spirit David what do you have for us this week uh, something Chris has written about but I just heard it uh, the 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 BBC thing the other day, which was Des Bishop did a documentary for BBC Radio 
World Service on stand-up comedy in China. Yeah, that's uh, funny. You and I have been to his, to his yeah, show. Yeah, it was yeah, a Dashan no, no, show. Him and Dashan. Yeah, yeah, both of them. Yeah. yeah. So it's a it's a documentary. I think it's about thirty minutes on BBC World Service. It's called. It's just. I think it's just called the documentary. Is the actual show. Uh, but it's Des B- Bishop basically interviewing all these Chinese uh, stand-up no, comedians. ID, ID does for us here. Des Bishop, Bishop is a uh, Irish slash Brooklyn, uh, you know, if that's not badass enough for for a stand-up comedy guy who 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 was a, a professional stand-up comedian in the U.S. and then decided uh, in a burst of chutzpah, if not absolute insanity, to come to China and learn enough Mandarin to do stand-up comedy. And Chris has interviewed him, right? You know him. Pretty well. Uh, I think that's a nodding doesn't work on the podcast. You have to say, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chris just nodded. I've, I've seen Jew, I've seen him a lot. I should point out, but um, anyway, go ahead. But anyway, the kind of thing that I would usually say, no, what? Come and learn a little bit of Mandarin and do stand up? Well, that's impossible. You must master the nuances of the Chinese language with the very, you know, subtle differences in verbs. And no, he's he does he speaks Chinese really. His Chinese is crappy. Very, very basic. Hardy has any vocabulary, and he kills on stage. Yeah, it's he's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he interviewed all these young comedians. For example, Tony Cho, I'll mention, who's yeah, a very funny guy. Yeah, you know? I, I saw him. He, was, he, he played yeah. that night. Yeah. yeah. That we saw. We saw a bunch of really good comics. Oh, that I was on the floor with some of them, yeah, even yeah, though I yeah. can understand half of it. But anyway, anyway, it's worth listening to this documentary for those of you who don't know about that weird world, and it's a, it's typical of the kind of thing Chris explores. This this uh, infusion of West weird Western stuff into Chinese. Yeah, so let's pass the ball to Chris. Um, <clears throat> I guess coincidentally, my recommendation is also comedy related, though not China related. I just wanted to to mention one of my favorite new podcasts, which is uh, an interview show about comedy, largely uh, by this comedian Pete Holmes. Uh, I thought you were going to go with Marin, but no. Um, I I'm a big Mark Marin fan, right. and I've been listening WTF. to WTF for yeah. a long time. Um, so I was interested to see that there's this other alternative podcast in which a comedian interviews comedians about comedy that's completely different. I mean, Marin's style is he's so self-loathing and, and depressed that he... He draws he, out the other person. Exactly. Like, oh, no, no, tell <laughs> other, me your, your, your secret shame. Right. The Let's other also, person's uh, like, well, my secrets can't be nearly as shameful as yours. Right, so right. they're willing to talk about it. Whereas Pete Holmes is, is a lot more positive. <clears throat> um, he's he's crazy and and sort of manic, but I- incredibly curious and, and well-intentioned and engages people in a, a way that's... Um, just as interesting. He's, inter- he's an American? American comedian okay, he, who's hilarious in his own right. Wow. Um, but uh, I recommend uh, his interview with, with Dana Carvey. They, oh, They really? both have this just manic energy that feeds off each other. They talk for like two hours or something. Oh, wow. I got I to gotta hear that one. Uh, that's great. Um, yeah, I'll check it out. I mean, I'm always looking for good new podcasts. Uh, and coincidentally, mine is also comedy related. What was I mean? I guess we were all just thinking about how how funny your piece was, and uh, I mean, even Jeremy, yours was even. I, I'm actually going to recommend that you go and watch. I don't know if you saw it today, the White House Correspondents Association dinner. Not yet. Uh, oh, I haven't seen it yet. Oh my God, Obama killed. Can I just really? say hey, here? I, I actually shot, scribbled down some of the, some of the jokes that he. he uh, he was talking about how, how people have commented about how, you know, being in office has aged him. And he said, I look so old. John Boehner has asked Netanyahu to speak at my funeral. Mm. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, and then, thanks to Obamacare, you don't have to worry about losing your insurance if you lose your job. You're welcome, Senate Democrats. 
Right. Oh, okay. Maybe. His delivery is much better. Yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. That's it. Had to be Some there. people still say I'm aloof, arrogant, and condescending. Some people are so dumb. No wonder. I hate them. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else they hear. All right. A few weeks ago, Dick Cheney says he thinks I'm the worst president of his lifetime, which is interesting because I think Dick Cheney is the worst president of my lifetime. <laughs> Ooh, right. that's very good. Um, for many Americans, this is still a time of deep uncertainty. I have one friend who just a few weeks ago, she was making millions of dollars a year, and now she's living out of a van in Iowa. <laughs> I like how you're delivering this in your Obama voice. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not really trying. I'm just we trying to a, get this. We need a laugh track. Seneca should invest yeah, in a yeah. laugh track. I'll, I'll edit one in. Okay. And then on, on Biden, he goes, we've gotten so close that in some places in Indiana, they won't serve us pizza anymore. <laughs> That's that was okay. a good. Anyway, he he was good. He was really Obama really deeply good. funny. I mean, yeah. you know, he did this all with like a great deadpan and yeah. you know, he was yeah. I was I was very impressed. I think his sense of humor but, is underrated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in general. I don't know. I mean, but the the, the funniest thing was L- Luther the anger translator. Have you guys seen this? So, uh, you guys know who Key and Peele are, yeah. right? So it's, it's Key from Key and Peele. Um, you know, he gets up on stage and he he's like you know with a mad face on and and, and Obama as he delivers his closing. Uh, Luther, the anger translator played by Key, just goes on uh, and is you know says what he what Obama actually <laughs> Must means. Be which is he could say right, right, right. Mm-hmm. and it's it's a really it's really well done. It's it's hysterical, and as you probably know, Key does a, a terrific Obama himself. This is like angry Obama. It was mm-hmm. it was awesome, and then of course it finished. I won't spoil the the, the ending of it, but it, it was great. Um, and but my observation how this ties to China is as I was watching this I just couldn't help but think that this is like to me this is the distillation of the massive chasm between the two political cultures it is impossible to imagine a Chinese head of state ever doing, doing something like this yeah. Yeah, I mean it's absolutely. just I mean it's it's, it's just, just chew on that for a little while. I mean, and understand yeah, I what. I mean, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me. Well, I think that's why it was seen as such a big deal when when Joe Wong was the comedian hired for one of the that's correspondence right. days because yeah, yeah, yeah. he could make fun of Biden to his face. Right. right. And a lot of people on the Chinese internet thought that was unusual. Right, and he could make just, uh, jokes about China <laughs> that had a different uh, sort of right. implication when he did it. Okay. Anyway, hey, Chris Beam, what a what a pleasure to have you in here. A terrific story. Um, uh, uh, once again, it's called the Grant. I mean, no, it's called uh, suppo- no. It's called, <laughs> uh, it, it's called uh, matter. the People's Republic of Cruise Land, and it's in this week's uh, Bloomberg Business Week. Look for it and uh, enjoy, Jeremy. Uh, Kyler, I will be back next week uh, from south of the uh, Mace's uh, Dixie line. Okay, good, 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 with more <laughs> insights and observations to share with our, our listeners. Uh, I thank I you, sir. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm gonna. I'm playing a. I'm playing a role here. I mean, I'm, I'm play acting here. I don't actually have any deep seated prejudices that I really actually reveal to anyone. Yeah, well, I do. Yeah. If you want me, I, I can yeah, do it sincerely. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> David, you do the intro next time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, David, we'll see you next week. Take care.